Hello and welcome to SciSection. My name is Jureen Anthony Pillay and I'm a journalist for the SciSection radio show broadcasted on the CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. We are here today with Dr. Andres Moshevis, a professor for electrical and computer engineering at University of Toronto. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So to begin, would you like to give a quick introduction of yourself, like an overview of your academic background and maybe your interests? Okay. Yeah. Um, let's start with uh, the academic background. So I studied uh, in Greece. I did my undergraduate studies there and masters in computer science. Uh, in around '92, I moved to the USA at NYU, where I started uh, studying for my PhD there. I stayed there for one year, and then I moved to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I finished my PhD uh, end of '98. And all of this have been in computer science. Um, I started teaching at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois in the U.S. Uh, but for whatever reason, I wanted a more European environment, so we decided to give a Canada a try. So I've been lucky enough to, to be offered a position here at the University of Toronto, which was a great opportunity, so I jumped on that. So since 2000, I've been here at the University of Toronto, teaching computer design at the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department. Mm -hmm. That's great. And currently you're serving as a director for the National Science and Engineering Research Council in computing hardware for emerging intelligence sensing applications. Do you want to talk about this council's goal and what do you guys do? Yeah, so there is a look, the, the type of work that uh, I've been working on is uh, how can we design machines that can execute applications better. And what I mean by that, it might be a machine that gives you more capabilities, you know, think about uh, the graphics that a machine could have back in the early 90s where you could barely see pixels moving, let's say, you know, very simple things compared to the graphics you see today. So my career has been about the hardware mechanisms that go to, uh, in to enable all the uh, very creative people that write software, which is the most important thing, to be able to deliver more through their software by providing more capable machines. In the beginning, this was about performance only with uh, desktop machines. Uh, lately, in the past two decades, it's been performance per watt which allows you to take this computing power and move it into edge devices, things that you can put on your hand or not. Uh, in order to optimize the machine and to give, provide more capability, it has always been the case that if you target a specific application or a specific class of applications, you can probably build a machine that's extremely, extremely powerful. That's why, for example, your systems today, you have CPUs, which are the central processing units that are very good at doing general purpose computing like Microsoft Word or running your browser. But then if you go into graphics, you have this uh, super specialized machines that are for graphics processing, the GPUs, right? And uh, pretty much every machine today has both. Uh, machine learning has emerged as uh, one application category that's basically has taken everything by storm. Whereas in the past, you would uh, had to program into a, a machine all possible scenarios that ever occur so that you can make it do something you want. With machine learning, you have uh, at least this uh, the impression that it actually learns, right? It can learn how to do that without actually you programming every single scenario. So I was lucky enough to be at the University of Toronto and uh, and see a lot of the innovations happening in machine learning early on. So mm -hmm. it seemed to me that this was a, a domain for which we can actually try to build very, very specialized machines that will allow you to take these applications and use them anywhere and for anything. Yeah, awesome. And also your current research at the moment is on highly specialized computing engines for deep learning. I think you kind of slightly touched upon that, but would you like to go more in depth on this research that you're working on? 
you're right. Uh, I should have said about the answer cohesion and instead I talk about uh, only what I do and what we do. So the answer cohesion, let me go back to that before. Uh, okay. It's actually a, a, a consortium of uh, several researchers, 24 at the moment, and several companies that do have a base in Canada. And the whole goal is to design systems that allow you to build ever more clever and ever more powerful machine learning uh, uh, applications. Uh, most of the researchers in Answer Cohesa are people very similar to my expertise, right? They have very similar expertise. They design hardware, but there is also uh, several people in Answer Cohesa that do machine learning per se. And then there are several other people that actually do systems, systems from the perspective of the system software, as in Linux, Windows, and everything that goes in between that allows programmers to run that. Uh, uh, you asked me something else and I haven't answered that. Can you remind me? Sorry, I got lost now. <laughs> no problem. Um, so I was asking about your current research at the moment, which was on highly specialized computing engines for deep learning. So would you like to go more in depth on this research that you're working on? Yes. So this is about building machines that mm -hmm. when they're called to run machine learning applications and in particular deep learning networks, they allow you to run even, even more powerful applications. Whereas before to run a machine learning network, you probably needed a desktop CPU with a lot of GPUs so you can get uh, this thing to work, even work. Today, you can have even a cell phone run a lot of this stuff. So our goal is to try to enable even more powerful applications of that. So the way we do that is by designing machines that are specialized for this kind of application. They are not very good for doing graphics. They're actually horrible for that. They're not good for running Microsoft Word or running a browser, but are extremely, extremely good at running these particular applications. And the reason we can do that because at the very low level, at the hardware level, these applications boil down to gazillions of multiplications and additions. So we build machines that can do this extremely, extremely efficiently. Mm -hmm. And what do you think was the most fascinating thing you've researched throughout your years? Because I know there's a lot of new and exciting things that there is to research in this field. So what do you think, in your opinion, would be the most fascinating? So this is a very tough question to answer, really, right? Because uh, I was blessed enough to like computers as a kid. Mm -hmm. And through a series of various, uh, let's say, uh, I mean, some of them is pure luck, right? Events, I got to work on what I like a lot. So from a purely selfish perspective, I am blessed enough to be working on something that I really like. And pretty much everything that I've done so far with the, and the people I have collaborated with, with the people I have collaborated with, has been very, very, you know, uh, fulfilling for me. This is from my own perspective. Right? In terms now of how these are exciting for the rest of the world, well, you have to go, unfortunately, when you do design hardware, there's a lot of levels in direction that you have to follow through to say that something's adding. Uh, should these things end up being in products and an actual message that you use, and it takes a while for this to happen, uh, you're going to be able to see these applications coming very near to you, next to your hand. And a lot of applications that today are even impossible, they're going to become uh, possible. The most fascinating, if, if you want to talk about fascinating, if you can put that term, but the work we do is that the machines that we build actually look at what you want to do and they try to do it better than you say if you are a programmer you tell me you want to do a thousand multiplications well my machine is going to do maybe 500 and still give you the same result that's the most fascinating thing so there are machines that actually look through the instructions you give them and only do as much as necessary to give you exactly the same result without you trying and I think a follow-up question to that would be, what do you think um, most people should learn about your research? 
in terms of the daily life of a single person, what, how this work is going to help them, right? That's that what yeah. you're asking. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the, this is again another difficult question to ask. In what sense? I mean, essentially, goes boils down to the following: the fact that you have a computer in front of you, or the fact that you have a car that can probably see the uh, the street and you know the road and drive itself to to some degree, or the fact that you have a plane that can actually you know navigate itself and take you to destination, take actions when there is danger. Right? Uh, computers are everywhere. Uh, so even though I do not write applications, the reality is that pretty much everything in science or everyday life is being affected by computers, in, mostly in positive ways. Yes, there are negative effects. So the kind of work that we do in Answer Cohesion in my group is the kind of work that allows these computers to become ever more powerful and enable all of these uh, conveniences or new applications. I mean, drug discovery in many degrees today is done first in computers. You know, designing uh, airplanes happens first in computers. So. It, there is a level of indirection there. It's not direct. Yeah, of but course. But there is a great impact too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely everywhere and in our daily lives. And for a final question, so you have won multiple awards for your work. And so what do you think was the root of your success? Oh, uh, <laughs> first of all, you're very kind. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice of you to talk about success. Uh, that's a question that everybody has to look at the mirror and decide whether they really think they're successful or not. Uh, uh, I was blessed as a kid, a lot of stuff made sense to me very easily. So I don't, uh, I, I think that was a matter of luck, right? When I went to school, how things became, was easy for me. So it was very, there was a feedback loop that allowed me to work hard and get rewarded for that. I do recognize that this may not be the same for everybody. I was just blessed that way. And there was a lot of hard work that went into where I am today. I don't believe that where I am is so important anyhow. Uh, I was also very lucky to work with very, very talented people. As a student, as a professor at uh, the University of Toronto, there's a lot of great talent in Canada. And I think we're lucky to be professors in, uh, in, in Canada because there's a great people we can work with. And finally, there is a lot of luck too, right? There's, I can think of several events in my life where it could have gone either way. And I wouldn't say that I had much control over them, right? So there's, let's not forget about that. So there is a lot of hard work and it usually works, but it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. working with the right people and being there in the right time. Sorry, this is a bit, uh, you know, uh, I would like to think that I do have a lot of control in my life, but uh, you only have only so much. Mm -hmm. And so that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you again for joining me today. And for our listeners, make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms.